0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
1: On this episode, a plasma physicist discusses evidence of lost civilizations and nuclear weapon signatures on Mars.
2: They had this picture and they just released it without uh, consulting anybody. There was kind of a breakdown in management function. And for that reason, this became well known then that there was this, uh, what looked like an archeological uh, site at Sidonia Menza, And it showed very clearly the face and then 20 kilometers away, a five-sided pyramid. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what that means.
1: Have you ordered your bottle of carbon-60 yet? The mighty Aphrodite and I have been taking a tablespoon of this miracle molecule suspended in olive oil for a few months now we're taking the purest form of C60. It's called ESS60 and it's produced by our friends at C60EVO.com. C60 in oil is a powerful antioxidant that moves through the body like a magnet to attract and neutralize free radicals. It can slow down aging and reduce cellular damage. C60 can improve the immune system and reduce inflammation naturally. Often we hear about improved vision and substantially keener mental focus. The mighty Aphrodite and I are sleeping much better, we're both pain-free, no joint stiffness or back pain, and that's why I call Carbon 60 the miracle molecule. It's great for us humans, and it's great for our pets. To order, go to c60evo.com, that's c60evo.com slash r-e-f slash r-s-1. Again, to order your bottle of ESS60, go to c60evo.com/refrs1.
0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres, pursuing the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption, and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett.
1: Welcome to your Friday. I'm dipping into my vast audio archives again for episode 350. Say that's a bit of a milestone, wouldn't you say? 350 episodes of Conspiracy Unlimited. Cue the confetti cannon. Uh, Actually, if I were to set off a confetti cannon inside my little studio beneath the stairs, it would not be pretty, let me tell you. Uh, Be sure to catch me on Coast to Coast AM this coming Saturday, February the 8th, 2020. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information. Okay, we're going back to July of 2018 for this conversation I had with physicist Dr. John Brandenburg discussing the red planet. We are entering into an exciting period of time in the heavens because we have a blood moon coming this month and it's going to bring, it's going to be the longest lunar eclipse of the 21st century and Mars is going to appear unusually bright, brighter than normal as it passes its closest to Earth for 15 years. Now, meanwhile, there's a huge dust storm going on uh, in Mars. So uh, maybe it's time that we uh, we bring some clarity to the red planet, and I have just the guest to do that. John Brandenburg, Ph.D., is a plasma physicist. He did his graduate work in California at Lawrence Livermore National Lab in controlled plasmas for fusion power and has worked in defense, energy, and space research. Dr. Brandenburg was also part of the Clementine mission to the moon, which discovered water at the moon's pole. However, the focus of Brandenburg's scientific career has been to complete the great effort of Einstein to unify the two long-range forces of nature, gravity and electromagnetism. And he will also be one of the featured speakers at the Mutual UFO Network Symposium. That's MUFON 2018 Symposium. That's happening in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And uh, that's uh, going to take place from July 27th to the 29th. You can get more information at www.mufonsymposium.com. A great pleasure to welcome John Brandenburg, PhD, back to The Conspiracy Show. Hey, John, how are you?
2: Oh, I'm great, and it's a great honor and pleasure to be on your show.
1: Now, oh, we should mention, of course, the books, Life and Death on Mars, The New Mars Synthesis, Beyond Einstein's Unified Field, Gravity and Electromagnetism Redefined, and Death on Mars. Now, Mars, obviously, uh, front and center in the news these days, but also it'll be front and center at the MUFON Symposium. You're going to be yes. talking about a report from Mars. And this is fascinating to me that I, this is something I wasn't aware that you've discovered. That the the U.S. government expected to find intelligent artifacts on Mars yes. when it formed NASA way back in 1958. Tell
2: me about Mars. that. Yep, the uh they, the U.S. government was uh, great uh, followers of Percival Lowell, as it turns out. Um, you must realize that officials in the government have a different view of scientists than the public. Sci- uh, the public views scientists with a sense of awe. These are learned men sitting at universities <clears throat> um, uh, and who make sage comments. Um, the government views them differently. To the government, the scientists are people who come to their offices and ask for money. <laughs> 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 and so they they have a slightly jaded view of scientists. Um, it's not uncommon for scientists to be in their office one day, um, Saying that something is impossible and uh, then the Russians do it the next day and they are, the same people are back in the same office asking for money to investigate the thing they claimed was impossible the other day. So the government officials were fairly persuaded that Percival Lowell with his canals, I mean, this was 1960, uh, 1958, 1960 when they did this uh, Brookings Institute report and, uh, so they had not sent a probe to Mars yet to discover there weren't any canals. There turned out to be water channels, um, basically the same thing, but uh, there were no canals. Uh, however, because of the canal controversy, the U.S. government was persuaded that it was likely there was a dead civilization or at least a dying civilization on Mars. And they put that in the report that if they found artifacts of this civilization, uh, it being the Cold War, this was to be suppressed. It's right there in the document. You can see it on uh, Wikipedia. Mm. And so, in a sense, this was a cover-up whose game plan was laid out at the v- beginnings of uh, Mars exploration. There was going to be a Mars cover-up, and... Um, because Mars was likely the home of a dead civilization or a, or a dying one. So uh, Werner von Braun himself said that uh, any, um, uh, the first batch of astronauts to Mars should include, include archaeologists. He said that in the mid-60s. And so the stage was set for a collision between our desire to gain more knowledge about the red planet, which is the most Earth-like planet uh, that we can get to in the rest of the universe, and this policy clearly stated that any artifacts found on Mars, any knowledge of them, was to be suppressed and kept from the public.
1: Fascinating, and that really set the mood for uh, for for NASA. Uh, yes. And, and so, how much of this philosophy then uh, informed? informed nasa not only with with regards to mars but with regards to you know occasionally we see video feeds turned off suddenly oh, yes. on the international space station and so forth
2: a, a certain amount of the ufo cover-up extends into the space program uh because uh if if obviously if people if, if extraterrestrials are visiting earth living ones in spaceships then you're going to see them in space uh as well as um uh, you know, flying over uh, our airspace. So um, that was uh, that was not directly addressed. It was basically a finding of artifacts on the surface of Mars or other planets or the Moon. And uh, but the same, the the UFO cover up was in full operation at that point anyway. So um, it was kind of an unspoken uh, policy of the U.S. government to suppress any knowledge of uh, living extraterrestrials. And if they found evidence of dead extraterrestrials on Mars, um, this Brookings report uh, carried the policy that that was to be handled also in the same way as the UFO cover-up.
1: Fascinating. So that brings us to 1976 and uh, the, um, the launching, well, 75, I guess,
2: for the launching of uh, Viking 1 and 2. Yes. Uh, magnificent, magnificent project. Uh, they had already sent the Mariner 9 to Mars. Mariner 9 um, had taken high resolution pictures from orbit and they would found uh, evidence of massive water channels uh, and lakes. A massive canyon on Mars, uh, exposing a lot of uh, sedimentary layers. Um, so then the Vikings followed up on this, and basically, in one mission, uh, rewrote the entire book of Mars. Right.
1: You had you had one sort of photographing the uh, the surface of Mars from orbit, one studying the planet from the surface.
2: Yes. They had two uh, two nuclear powered landers. And this was to c- also to celebrate the Ur- um, United States bicentennial, so they just pulled out all stops on this mission, and everything worked technically just perfectly. Yeah, and maybe of course, too perfectly. Then they maybe took too pictures perfectly. pictures of Sidonia Menza. <laughs> That's right. And found a face and a pyramid there. So they basically discovered what they had uh, been afraid they would discover.
1: Right now, so that was Viking One uh, that was circling yes. the planet that grabbed those photos. Where was Viking Two?
2: Was it Viking anywhere two was, in, in, near Cydonia? Uh, well, oh, Viking Two was supposed to land at Cydonia with its lander, but they, <laughs> after they took the picture of uh, the face in the pyramid at Cydonia Menza, uh, they decided not to land the lander there. They decided to change the. Um, um, rather hastily, in fact, and in a manner which caused a deep annoyance with the scientific team. They suddenly decided to change the landing to a place called uh, Utopia. Um, And as it turns out, um, that was a far more dangerous place to land, uh, but they managed to pull it off, and so they got two landers on the surface. The Viking 2... Tended to ride in a higher uh, orbiter. Tended to ride in a higher orbit, so it didn't take as as um, high resolution pictures as Viking One.
1: So this is fascinating because I didn't, I wasn't aware of this. So the decision to move the landing of Viking Two was based on the Viking One image of the Sidonium incense. Uh,
2: apparently so, because. The Viking two lander landing site, the prime site, was Cydonia, and be, they wanted to land it there because it's kind of the Riviera of Mars. It's where a um, Mars winds just in the northern hemisphere blow in the same direction as they do on Earth. From the north, um, they come from the northwest, and uh, this carried moisture from the polar caps right into uh, the Sidonia area which looked like it was uh, part of a seacoast so it would have been the best place to look for life lots of of water vapor but they instead changed it to uh, Utopia Uh, so it was uh, this uh, we now know that this caused uh, uh, a great deal of uh, uh, bad feelings between the scientific team and the nasa management team and in fact the people who decided who made the last minute change at landing sites uh belonged to a committee that many of the scientists did not even know existed they thought they were running the mission hmm. and it t- turned out they were not
1: so how did we get that image from 1976 of that face on Mars from Cydonia. How did, how uh, was that oh, allowed to be released?
2: <laughs> because the scientific team was extremely irritated. Uh, they released the picture.
1: <laughs> well, God bless them for that. <laughs>
2: they, they said, uh, the, the version I heard was that Hal Mazursky, uh, because he was extremely angry that they changed the landing site to basically without notifying the scientific teams, um, they had this picture and they just released it without uh, consulting anybody. So <laughs> there was kind of a breakdown in management function. And for that reason, uh, this became uh, well-known then, that there was this uh, what looked like an archaeological uh, site at Sidonia Mensa. They claimed that they took another picture an hour later and that, uh, it showed no face that, but as it turns out, that was how, how, how can we put this delicately? The U.S. government, uh, basically, uh, was not telling the truth. Right. Or as the old, the old picture an hour later because it would have been sunset. It would have been, it would have been dark. Ah, uh, they were wait- saying the shadows were playing tricks on us. Yeah, they, they waited 30 days and then took a second picture. And it showed very clearly the face and then 20 kilometers away, a five-sided pyramid. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what that means. This was the frame uh, 70A13, which was discovered by DiPietro and Molinar. And it was in the NASA files. And uh, DiPietro and Molinar found it, enhanced it. They got the raw data tapes and enhanced it. It showed the pyramid and the uh, face very clearly. And uh, NASA denied that, that the picture existed for many years. Unbelievable. <laughs> even though it was right in their files. Right, right. <laughs> we even found it in scientific articles that they published as part of Photo Mosaics, so, uh, it was not a good day for, uh, NASA and the, the reason, uh, apparently the reason it happened was, um, they had, uh, they had implemented this policy of avoiding anything that might ar- be archaeological. This made the scientific, uh, team very angry and they basically did a little guerrilla science and released the picture of Cydonia Mensa, uh, without, uh, without informing the management team. Before we talk
1: about the images from 98 and 2001, what similarities, when you look at this image, this face on Mars, what similarities do you see between it and, let's say, the Sphinx?
2: Oh, uh, the, it's following the same pattern of a large geometric object, a pyramid, or pyramids at uh, Giza, and then a human face. Um uh, so it's capturing both the human uh, admiration for its own image and also of the exacting uh, mathematical uh, objects it creates, which it also admires. Uh, there's a very similar process going on um, at the La Venta in yeah. Old Mexico where the Olmecs carved colossal heads, and they also had a pyramid right next to it. And what would the –
1: what type of rock would that be? What would the composites be that that was carved from?
2: Oh, uh, well, in the uh, the case of Giza, I believe everything, the basic uh, materials were limestone. Yes, but but on Uh, on Mars. The Olmecs carved uh, things in very hard basalt rock, volcanic rock, a very tough rock, so it lasted – it's much more durable. So um they built these things to last.
1: But any thoughts on what the the rock on Mars may may be?
2: Uh, it is on? apparently um the basic rock types. Mars is a much more volcanic uh kind of planet than the Earth is uh in a sense. The uh rocks tend to be iron rich um similar to lava on um uh, Hawaii. Uh so Uh, That's a uh, forms a very dense kind of form of basalt. You can see that uh, very much on the west coast here now, where I live. And so it would
1: I would would assume then, uh, if we're talking about sort of an igneous formation, it would it would withstand uh, the forces of erosion much greater than say limestone. Yes,
2: yes, it was. It's very tough rock.
1: All right, so that takes us. That's the 76 image that was leaked out. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then that's when NASA started to do, uh, earn their nickname, Never a Straight Answer. That's uh, right. <laughs> and then, uh, lo and behold, we have this image from 1998.
2: That was a, uh, a masterpiece of disinformation or misinformation because it was released by MSSS, uh, Malin Space Science Systems. So the public was entirely misinformed on that. Uh, they took the picture under as different lighting conditions and different viewing angle as possible to, in order to deliberately confuse the public apparently. Uh, that's of course an interpretation, but uh, instead of taking the pictures from above as in the Viking and in the afternoon, uh, which shows a uh, nice long shadows and uh, they took it in the morning and at an, a very oblique angle, and you can see that when you look at pictures, especially the enhancements done by Dr. Mark Carlotto, there's a, a crater near the face, and you can see that it's foreshortened. It's it looks like an oval or an ellipse. Right beside and, the face.
1: Right. And then uh um, was there further, say photoshopping done on that, or was this strictly achieved through, uh, through no, angle they, and shadow?
2: They basically um used the power of suggestion, being as they were government officials, and they know the public, um, at least in subjects of extraterrestrials, uh, displays a childlike credulity for all government statements. And so they basically said, uh, uh, here's the face. Um, It's obviously not a face. Uh, Move along, folks. Nothing here to see. Right, right. And they uh, they got it to stick. They also waited till the very last moment when all of the news networks had to file their stories, so there could be no basically back and forth between reporters or anything like that. So they they sat on the they got the picture early in the morning and sat on it all day, and then released it just as everyone had to file their stories. So that was kind of like the final word is here is this. Um, Face and they released it without enhancement, uh, so that it looked like um, uh, we joked it looked like an object in a, in a cat litter box. <laughs> yes, yes, I can see that. <laughs> uh, th- now then the, we, the, the the image just inter- immediately got the picture and enhanced it because it had been released unenhanced. And when we enhanced it, it was magnificent. It showed ornaments on the helmet and nostrils in the no- in the nose. Ornaments on the helmet, tell me more about that. Yes, uh, they're clearly seen in the, uh, uh picture, the original picture, and I have that in my, uh, Dr. Mark Carlotto has, um, um, many, uh, pictures of that, uh, in his, uh, books, The Cydonia Controversy. Also, I have it on my website, lifeonmars.pub. <clears throat> And it's got clearly got nostrils and the nose. And these were kind of details that we predicted we would find despite erosion in what was called the Sidonian hypothesis, which I wrote with uh Vince DiPietro and Greg Molinar. I was the first author, and we proposed a dead civilization on Mars. We hypothesized it and said that new pictures of the face and the pyramid would show new details like uh, brickwork. And ornamental details and anatomical details despite erosion. And lo right. oh and behold, we found it.
1: And that, and, and then thereafter, about three years later, we get another image of the Cydonia Mensa and it's yes. even l- 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 less defined. Uh, 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 no,
2: actually, the new pictures from the Odyssey spacecraft, which was not controlled by JPL. It was controlled by University of Arizona and they were far more uh, straightforward and honest. They released their pictures enhanced. They took the pictures from above, and they took them in the afternoon, just like the Viking pictures had been taken in the afternoon. And they basically show that it looks just like it did for the Viking. Oh, those, well, I'm those looking at something. Are also on my website, um, LifeOnMars.pub. So yes, the the U.S. government especially operating through uh, mail and space science systems, MSSSS, uh, really pulled a fast one on the American public. They knew everybody was waiting for the picture. They released it unenhanced. Uh, it was an unfamiliar, from an unfamiliar angle, viewing angle, in an unfamiliar lighting. And it basically succeeded in diffusing the whole matter. They gained about 10 years. Of peace and quiet. Now, how do they exp-
1: what did they do with the, the, the images of the pyramid? Did they did they try and or they just didn't obfuscate take there?
2: They, they didn't did take, anymore. take any more. Uh, then I was finally at a scientific conference, and somebody, the people from the University of Arizona, released pictures of the pyramid, and it looked just like it did on in the Viking a five sided pyramid, and you could just see. You could feel in the audience, in the auditorium where I was, a sense of shock and awe when they released that picture.
1: Right, right. Now you were mentioning, you know, the, the way that uh, they, the, the military and so forth, uh, the government deals with scientists. But you're not just any scientist, Dr. Brandenburg. Yes. Uh, I mean, you worked on the rocket plume. Um, regolith interactions on the moon and Mars, yes, vort- yes. vortex theory of rocket engine design. Uh, I,
2: I, well, I'm very proud of my scientific career, and sure. I've uh, been working on space problems now for the past um, roughly 25 years.
1: But my point is, it invented the microwave electrothermal plasma thruster. That makes it's, me a rocket engine. Uh, that it, makes me a rocket scientist. It does. It does. And so, and this isn't rocket science. No, it isn't rocket science. <laughs> the point is that you, you can't be so easily dismissed. Well, so what, it, what do wasn't. they
2: do? What do they do with you? Well, actually, they treated me very nicely. Uh, basically, I became, I tried to think like the government. I tried to put myself in their shoes. And I would basically, when I would talk to government officials about this, um, we had a meeting down at NASA headquarters before they even took the uh, new pictures. And I explained that finding a dead civilization on Mars, a dead humanoid primitive civilization on Mars, or what looks like one, we're not sure of its actual technological uh, level. We can't know that really till we dig. But I said this is a soft landing for the human race because it's not threatening. Right, right. It it poses no military or existential threat to the human race at all. Because the
1: civilization has been gone for... Right.
2: Right. It implies that we're part of a living universe where intelligent life is common. If you find remains uh, on two different planets in the same solar system of humanoid uh, dead civilizations, uh, humanoid civilization, then that says that humanoid civilizations are pretty common in the cosmos.
1: Right, right, that follows. That certainly follows.
2: And now what also was found, unfortunately, uh, is the reason... The reason for the demise of the civilization and life-bearing conditions on Mars was apparently a massive nuclear holocaust. And this is a complete, this is a very much a disconnect between the impression of um, that you get from studying all the Mars artifacts at the various sites. We've identified about four different sites where there's a lot of archaeological. Looking, um, objects. And what we found was no evidence of any advanced civilization. And we've been studying this for decades now. But we, what we did find was, um, nuclear weapon signature in the Martian atmosphere. Massive nuclear weapon signature.
1: More of my conversation with Dr. John Brandenburg when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Here's Colleen Forgus, our Full Script Dispensary Manager and Nutritional Therapist. Hey Colleen. Hi Richard. Tell me about Hair, Nails, and Skin. Well, we have a product from Pure Encapsulation,
0: which is called Hair, Skin, Nails, Ultra. And what I like about this product is that it contains collagen, and that's a big buzzword,
1: very beneficial for all of those, the skin, hair, and nails and some other natural vitamins and nutrition. Biotin, for example, is one that's included in this product. And it's great for just making sure we're taking the best care as we can of our hair, skin, and nails. Hair, Skin, and Nails Ultra. And that's available at my Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary. All you need to do is visit strangeplanet.ca and click on the Full Script Dispensary button and register. Don't forget, all orders receive 10% off and orders of $50 or more ship for free. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider.
0: In another reality, Richard is a very strong and handsome man. Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day. and What uh, good, good a handsome man Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
1: We are back with Dr. John Brandenburg. We're talking about uh, Mars and whether or not the, uh, the red planet is uh, the path to extraterrestrial disclosure. All right, so this... I won't say necessarily a primitive culture that lived on on Mars, but certainly not technologically uh, advanced. Uh, and um, you say the uh, the evidence suggests a a nuclear um, devastation on the red planet that yes. wiped out this the civilization. Talk to me about the evidence in Mars atmosphere that led you to this startling conclusion.
2: Well, of course, a um, when a nuclear weapon goes off. It is a human version of a supernova explosion. The, the physics of a supernova explosion in deep space oh, when a star explodes and a nuclear weapon going off are very similar. And so uh, you get intense uh, high-energy neutron bombardment of heavy elements like uranium and thorium and things like that. And this leads to uh, forensic uh, clues as to how the... Uh, what what occurred uh xenon uh has is a very interesting element it has five stable isotopes so it has a nice or at least five stable isotopes of any significant uh, abundance you can do forensics on this kind of fingerprint uh, for instance a ordinary nuclear reactor run with uranium with moderated neutrons produces almost no xenon 129 at all However, a nuclear weapon going off produces a lot of Xenon-129. So the Xenon-129 production is a signature of a very, it's called an R process. R process means a rapid, uh, intense, high-energy neutron bombardment of elements in the core of a star, in a supernova, or in a nuclear weapon. So what has happened is uh, we have discovered in the literature, that uh, they have identified R process in some meteorites that, that are not from Mars. They, they date from the very early solar system and captured uh, xenon from a supernova explosion that formed helped form the solar system. And they this R process xenon matches Mars atmosphere almost exactly. And there's Yet no other, no other literature has ever pointed it out. The reason they don't point it out. It's because they knew that there had um, their own experts had looked at the forensics and on the no xenon re- distribution and knew that it meant a massive nuclear holocaust on Mars. There's no
1: other plausible explanation, an asteroid impact, nothing else no. have caused this.
2: No. There is no other known process besides a new supernova or a nuclear weapon explosion that creates this kind of um, xenon pattern. And how did you find out about Xenon
1: 129 in Mars Atmosphere?
2: I was working at a government laboratory uh, where the major effort was nuclear weapons and one of the uh, groups at the laboratory, this is called Sandia National Laboratory, which is where I went to have my first uh, job after getting my PhD at Lawrence Livermore Lab. I went to Sandia National Lab. and uh, they had a program there of doing atmospheric monitoring. They would look for spikes of Xenon-129 when somebody uh, set off a nuclear weapon, and they could calculate then the yield of the nuclear weapon based on the Xenon-129 that changed in the Earth's atmosphere, etc. cetera. And uh, one of the people involved in that program, just by accident, by coincidence, was standing there when I was discussing uh, the Xenon-129 pattern on Mars, and he blurted out, oh, that means someone nuked them. And right after he said that, he looked startled as if, uh, why did I say that? And then he excused himself from any further conversation. What it, he had done is he had spoken something classified in an unclassified setting. And this had happened periodically, so you just excuse yourself and, and uh, end the conversation. So uh, I found that out at uh, Sandia National Labs. And then later in my career, I worked with uh, people who were doing um, uh, atmospheric monitoring. And they explained to me that the xenon-129 uh, superabundance uh, was symptomatic of a violent nuclear explosion
1: this would have been then the um, the what caused uh, mars to lose its atmosphere Yes. Um, so what's can we can you timestamp that based on the i don't know the decay of the the radiation or
2: uh, how does it that- no it's uh xenon 129 is stable so it actually stays in the atmosphere forever uh, there are other radioactive traces um that make it look like this occurred on the order of a billion years ago. So this far predates human um, civilization or the human race. Uh, it looks as though it was roughly 200, we're talking ballpark figures geologically, roughly 200 to 300 um, million years ago. Before 200
1: to 300, started. my it's word, 200 to 300 million years ago. Incredibly
2: ancient. The only reason the objects on Mars are preserved is that Mars went into deep freeze afterwards and water erosion ended so that you preserve these objects on Mars against further erosion. There was a little bit of dust erosion, but uh, for the most part, Mars just went into a deep freeze. Everything was flash frozen, and uh, so this stuff has been preserved. Now, I want to mention also in the last 3 months we've gotten some very important new data which I'll be discussing at the symposium and in fact I will be making a based on that new data an important scientific announcement
1: all right you're going to tease us with that okay great <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure. but, but you presented this you presented this at the pentagon
2: and yes how did they react so we presented it to a representative of the of the pentagon And he went and reported it to the Mars desk. Apparently, there's a Mars desk at the Pentagon. He reported it there.
1: A Mars desk at the Pentagon. Were you were you shocked to discover that?
2: Yes, Uh, the government had given no indication it regarded this as anything of interest. And suddenly we found out that this was of absolutely uh, – they had an obsessive interest in this matter. Uh, well, we found the remains of the nuclear weapon signature. We reported it immediately to the Pentagon, and they sent a representative um, to take our briefing. And um, if he knew anything about it, he gave no indication that he did. He took it all very seriously, and he um, He left. We heard nothing for six months and then, uh, and then we got a message back saying, why don't you publish this? They wanted us to publish. Wow. So the government has basically set the, uh, process of, uh, disclosure of the dead civilization on Mars, uh, in, uh, in, in motion, um, roughly the year 2000.
1: So the government wants John Brandenburg to be the instrument for disclosure in a manner.
2: I am the clueless tool, apparently, uh <laughs> this government. Uh, I, I think they, they've they encouraged all of us. I mean, there are many, many workers on this whole subject. Uh, there's the Society for Planetary SETI that I belong to. Um, so we're, uh, there are a lot of us working on this. We've never been interfered with by the government and essentially we've been encouraged to publish.
1: Now, here's me being the cynic. I'm wondering sure. if, the, if the Pentagon, knowing full well how the mainstream media works, thought to themselves, all right, John Brandenburg, you go and you release this information and let's see, let's, let's allow the MSM to do our work for us and to ridicule and to discredit and all of that nonsense that you know goes on. Is that perhaps what the government was thinking?
2: Um, I think they basically waved me and the rest of us ahead because they recognized that we were rather pugnacious characters and very persistent and that we get the job done. I don't think uh, they they knew us well enough that we were not intimidated by having... um, um, People in the mainstream media make fun of us. And and and
1: what reaction has there been? I mean, you didn't get a a, a, a New York Times front page story. No, I didn't. Uh, like like a tip. Why
2: not? Uh, but you got to remember, the New York Times uh, counts for a lot less than it used to. No, that's true. That's uh, true. The, the real mainstream media now is the internet itself. It's much less controlled. Something goes viral on the net which some of this stuff has, um, that makes up. It doesn't matter then what the New York Times thinks. Still,
1: though, a lot of people in the UFO arena continue to look to the New York Times. And when in December of 2017, they, uh, the New York Times, Leslie Kane and others released that story. I mean, that was yes. heralded around the world as
2: some sort of unofficial disclosure. It, it, it is uh, I'm astonished it occurred. It also indicates uh, something seems to have changed it, within the government. Uh, there has been speculation, in fact, that we may be facing a secret crisis. And they are trying to bring the public up to speed as rapidly as possible. Uh,
1: but but this incident that happened 300 million years ago. Yes. Uh, I mean, if they had nuclear weapons 300 million years ago yes i mean are we even talking about the same civilization yeah
2: no, uh, no we're uh, uh, the nuclear weapons uh we know where they went off because of uh, traces of radiation in potassium and thorium which have very long half-lives of uh, billions of years um and uh they were airbursts. We're talking nuclear weapons as big as the Empire State Building, and they were apparently dropped out of space and went off um, high in the atmosphere, maybe close to 100 miles up, and because that maximizes shock damage. This is the same reason they that the airbursts that the Nagasaki and Hiroshima weapons were airbursts. If you're dealing with uh, civilian structures um, air bursts are preferable because they cause uh, greater damage over a greater area. Hmm.
1: A friend of mine likes to say there's two ways to de- to destroy a city. one is to bomb it from the air and the second is rent control. but that's another <laughs> <laughs> that's another story
2: that's but, another story yeah. yes, but I'm just a rocket scientist, <laughs> but <laughs> a sociology why? But I will. I will say. Sadly, nothing we have proposed as happening on Mars has not already happened on Earth. Right. Right. But including a mass murder with, uh, well, a massive um, loss of civilian lives with nuclear weapons detonated in air in midair.
1: But. I mean, what, I mean, it's impossible, I suppose, to even, it'd be very difficult to even speculate, but why would a civilization feel the need to wipe out a relatively primitive culture on Mars with, it's it's like
2: taking a sledgehammer to a mosquito. It is baffling and we don't understand it. Um, that is, however, the scenario that seems like the simplest interpretation of the facts. Of the the simplest interpretation of the data that we have found is this was apparently an attack from space by a much more advanced uh, species on a primitive, almost Bronze Age civilization on Mars. So,
1: if there are, let's say, um, I'm sure there are multiple paths to disclosure, but if one is through the revelations of, uh, of this a whistleblower from ATIP, who will also be at uh, the MUFON uh, Symposium, yes, you know. um, um I'm looking Ele-
2: forward very much to meeting him and talking with him. Yes. Um, so,
1: if I mean, if, let's say that's one, um, Louis Elizondo's, uh path, you know, yes. the, that's one path Mars would as you say would be the safer path for the government to take because it's um, not a threat it's not a threat
2: yeah and this Richard is why this uh, whole situation is rather baffling um, we had uh, told the government repeatedly that we were doing as they suggested we were publishing and uh, that this gave us a give them gave them and us a um, kind of a soft landing uh, pathway for revealing to the American public and to the whole human race that we're not alone in the universe, that we share the universe with uh, people of like passions and abilities as ourselves. We must become spacefaring. All of that was uh, very well, it was going very well. Suddenly, the um, ATIP thing comes out, and it is completely unprecedented. The Department of Defense has never released official Department of Defense data, considering uh, UFO sightings like this. And it's very disconcerting to a lot of people in the UFO community. Um, And the problem is that it almost appears... That is being driven by events that have nothing to do with um, the American public's um, the things that concern the American public. That the um, the concern is is that the U.S. government is dealing with a secret crisis.
1: Right. In other words, there's an urgency here. They can't, they can't do the soft landing through the red planet path to disclosure. They've, it's, it's coming at us too quickly now. Right. That's frightening. That's a frightening prospect.
2: Well, um, I can't be sure, uh, but it's my hunch that that's what we're dealing with. And this is, this feeling is shared by many other People who've been in the UFO field for a long time, uh, our familiarity with the, some of the personalities involved in the government, and the way that they, you know, their standard operating procedure, uh, suggests that um, they are dealing with some problem, and this has uh, created a level of urgency to bring the public up to speed as quickly and- as possible.
1: And, of course, now we have uh, President Trump's announcement that he wants a space force, which might, obviously, there seems to be a connection there.
2: Uh, Interesting. Very interesting. Um, We'll have to, (laughs) uh, I, you know, I don't know. I'm just speculating that that is what's going on. I don't know. All, oh my I God. all I know is that also the government has provided new data concerning Mars. In um, about the same time frame as they supplied the ATIP releases, they started applying, uh, supplying uh, new Mars data. Well, and we I'll will have to. that at the MUFON Symposium, and that's is one of the things driving the scientific announcement I will be making.
1: John, a a real delight. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much for having me on your show, Richard. Uh, It's a great honor and pleasure.
1: Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash to give you a little taste of what's in store on the next installment of Conspiracy Unlimited. If you want to support my work here at Strange Planet... Please consider becoming an official donor. It's easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. There are several donation tiers to choose from, from a dollar per month to $50 a month. New donors at the 10, 20, and $50 per month tier receive a free mug from my Strange Planet shop. Donors in the $20 tier also have their names appear on a crawl. During the YouTube live stream of my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show. And donors in the $50 tier receive a special on-air thank you on my radio program. Whatever you give, your support helps keep my radio program and this podcast going. Help me pursue the truth wherever it leads. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Thank you and God bless. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, two paranormal investigators discuss their frightening adventures inside the most haunted library in America.
0: As we sat down in that room, I looked in two chairs, and I was psychically seeing these men in black. Nobody else in the room was, was seeing them. I was seeing them psychically, but they were just sitting there very, very still uh, with their gazes fixed across the room in just sort of a menacing and, and really unsettling way.
1: Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.
0: A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now.